Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Okay, enough of that. Do we have any questions this evening before we get started? Hey, where's Trina? She didn't pop in. No, she didn't. No? No? Most likely has a ball game with one of her nephews. I oh. came in late, but is Sybil going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, Sybil, uh, her blood pressure's out of whack. Um, it was 57 over 38, and the hospital kept her and told her they're, they're trying to balance her meds and stuff. Um, he said when she was in New Zealand, it was way high, and now it's tanking on her. So, um, you mm. know, so they're trying to figure out what's going on with her blood pressure. Wow. Sure. Yeah. I, I suspect that she got new blood pressure medicine and uh, forgot she took some and, you know, or just, just self-medicated at, at her own time schedule. And, and it you was way more. You gotta be careful with uh, yeah. that. New medicine, she wasn't I used to it. Did it. Oh, yeah. It's easy to do. Okay, then let's go on. Thanks. Okay, read Leviticus uh, 10, 1 through 3. What should the modern church learn from this passage? That's Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's commonly called DRT, dead right there. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What's the lesson for the modern church? Be obedient, not creative. Okay. Be obedient, not creative. I know I've taught through this before, but I think maybe I have some, some new insights into this uh, a little bit uh, tonight. Um, Nadab and Abihu were ordained qualified priests, but they didn't all, always follow the instructions from God. When Nadab and Abihu took their censers and put fire in them and then put incense in them, they were doing something which God had not directly commanded them to do. Some argue that, as, as I was studying this, I read some commentators that said, we should always only do what God has commanded. Is that a legitimate position? Only do what God has specifically commanded. Oh. I agree, Steve, it's not. Um, because God didn't command us to have pianos. He didn't ha command us to have Zoom. He didn't command us to do a lot of things, right? That we still do, and that are perfectly acceptable, we think. So clearly, a, a such a, uh, a black and white statement is only do what God has directly commanded isn't really what's going on here. Um, is there a place where they were specifically commanded not to do it? 
Well, that that's that's it's, another that, that's a that's a good other side of the question. There there is not a, a place where they were specifically uh, commanded not to do what they did, but they were commanded to do it at a specific time. But I think it's and, bigger than that. And I used to think it was just because it wasn't the specific time that they were supposed to do it. But I, th in studying it again, I think it's bigger than that. Um, there, there have been many speculations about what the actual capital crime was, and it was a capital crime since God executed him, DRT. Some have suggested that they went into the Holy of Holies. I think that might be, there might be some credence to that. And as we continue the study tonight, we'll, I think we might see that. Others suggest that they didn't light their fire from the, from the altar fire. That's also a command. When they were to light the incense, the coals or the fire from the altar of incense came from the altar where they did the, uh, the animal sacrifices on. The animal sacrifice altar was to remain lit all the time, and the other um, incense altar only at certain times. So that might be that they just lit it; they didn't put it, take it from the from the uh, sacrificial altar fire. Still, others have argued that it was simply the wrong time of day. Schedule events of the day, the, the, pro the daily process that they go through had already been completed. And so it was, um, it was in that Question. way, not allowed, but looking Question. at the, I'm yeah, go ahead. Um, God gave them a specific recipe for the incense. Did they use their own incense or did they use the prescribed incense that God had directed them to use? Or we don't know. We don't know that they used anything different other than the prescribed incense. Okay. There, there, there's very limited information that we're given, but the information that we are given, I think, is very specific. Looking at the details of what we're told, I think we can be a little bit more specific of the crime. Look again at, uh, at verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire. What's the crime? The fire was unauthorized. Unauthorized fire. They offered an incense of fire that was not proper. If you go to uh, Leviticus... Uh, Leviticus 16, 12. I didn't put it in the notes, sorry. Uh, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and shall bring it inside the veil. The, the fire for the incense comes from the altar fire. The fact that the charge is strange fire, I suspect that uh, Nadab and Abihu didn't light their censers from the altar. They just lit them independently. <laughs> the altar was to remain lit all the time. The altar of incense would be lit from the altar. And they did, apparently didn't do that. The fire was not sanctified holy fire. So it was called strange fire. The word strange is the Hebrew word czar. It has the sense of strange, illegitimate, unlawful, non-Israelite, illicit, and th this specific word has those senses built into it. And, and I was 
I was I was captivated when I when I read that it has the sense of non-Israelite. So this was not sanctified holy fire from God. Um, there was no Egyptian god of fire, but Ra, the chief Egyptian god, was the sun god and was often worshipped through large incense fires. So often the worship of the of the sun god, particularly in the evening when the sun had already gone down, was through large bonfires that they would put great uh, uh, bales of incense on. I think we might also be justified in argued, arguing that they both entered the Holy of Holies with their strange fires. And in another question I'm going to ask in a little bit, we'll pick up that part of the discussion. So let me ask you a question. Was God, was God justified in executing these two men? Well, obviously, God does it, so he's justified. <clears throat> Just part and parcel. Um, from our vantage point, it kind of seems he was a little harsh. That Well, what does Paul say know, about the wages of sin? It's yeah. death. Death. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it just seems we just don't have the whole story. Right. And I think maybe we have more of the story than we realize. And as we go through the various questions, I've got several questions that are linked together tonight. Um, and I think it'll give us an under a little better understanding of why, why they were DRT. Add to that the, the reality that this is immediately upon the creation of the priesthood. You know, these guys are, are ordained and and set apart for the priesthood. And so God is setting the the setting the the the, the tempo, um, the expectations for the priests, for all of Israel's subsequent history. And so it was important that they saw, hey, we gotta do this right. They didn't. They didn't do it right, but that's what God was setting up. So let's go on to another question then. Read Leviticus 24, 10 through 16. Why is this passage important in light of the New Testament? Leviticus 24, 10 through 16. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite's woman, Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of uh, blasphemed the name and cursed then they brought him to Moses his mother's name was uh, Shelemith the daughter of Debri the, of the tribe of Dan and they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them then the Lord spoke to Moses saying bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Okay, so this passage builds on what we, we read in the previous passage, or in the previous uh, question. It talks about blasphemy. Blasphemy was a capital crime. 
Whoever blasphemes the Lord shall be, surely be put to death. Don't call me Shirley. The word translated as blasphemy is the Hebrew word as nechab. The, the Lexham Theological Wordbook. This, this is, I, I've got a full quote here because of, of how it spells it out. The Lexham Theological Wordbook defines it this way. To excreate God by singling out his name as the uh, special object of blasphemy. The term usually means to pierce or bore or to designate by name. From the latter meaning, it was intended to mean to use God's name for ignoble purposes. I haven't heard that word ignoble in a long time. The one who blasphemes demeans the high and holy name of Yahweh by dragging it down to an unworthy, vulgar, and even shameful level. The opposite concept is expressed in Isaiah 62.2, where the Lord will designate Nechab, a new glorious name for Israel, to the in, or in the end times. So all of that to say is the, the word that's used to speak of blasphemy also speaks of glorifying. It's the same word, one in a negative and one in a, in a positive. And so what, he, what, this, what this kid was guilty of was dragging the Lord's name, using it in vain, um, blaspheming. We learn then later in the, in the New Testament that becomes a real issue, doesn't it? As, mm-hmm. uh, as people are, are DRT for lying to the Holy Spirit. And our, uh, the whole case that Israel used to execute Jesus was blasphemy. Because he said he was God and there he was just a man in their estimation. Is, is this part of the reason or the reason why we have the Tetragrammaton and the Jews will not say God's name or didn't say God's name? Part of it, yeah. They, they, they are so hesitant of blaspheming that they never write G-O-D. It's always G space D. And uh, they don't say it and, and so forth. They're, they're so afraid of it. Nadab and Abihu blasphemed uh, in their offering of strange fire. The punishment was appropriate for the crime, as the passage clearly defines. The principle plays out in the New Testament because it was how Israel wrongly convicted Jesus. Through multiple trials, they came to the same conclusion that he was a blasphemer. The Jews did. Uh, the Romans never did. Paul also used this law to attack the early church as, uh, as he was going about. That's how the, the high priest could, could offer um, warrants, wanted dead or alive, because they had this law that permitted them to execute anybody that, uh, that blasphemed. So we're, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is build the case, kind of, for what I think happened with Nadab and Abihu. Now let's move on to the next one. Read Leviticus uh, 16, 1 through 10, and explain the symbolism of the passage. Then the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. Pay attention to what it said there. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Where, where was the Lord in, in their... The Holy, 
in the Holy of Holies, right? So they drew near and they died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from a herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have linen undergarment on his body. And he shall uh, tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. Uh, These are holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. (coughs) Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering. (coughs) Excuse me for a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, then it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So what happens in this passage is Aaron gets some instructions right after Nadab and Abihu are DRT. And remember, he wasn't supposed to mourn for them. This was very close afterwards. God says, look, Don't go in there, because if you go in there, you're going to die. You're going to have to make that place holy again. And so you're going to have to go through this ritual of the goat sacrifice, and if we continued on in it, the sprinkling of the blood and so forth. Um, He needed to be ceremonially clean before he could do any of that, and so that that was the process. I believe this is all tied into, into the strange fire, because it needed to be cleansed again. Because we saw in verse 1, as, as Nadab and Abihu drew near, God DRT'd them. I think they entered the Holy of Holies, defiled it. Almost every other place, the entrance to the Holy of Holies um, cleanses. But in this case, they defiled it. So he had to go in and sanctify it again. So that, again, the atonement... Could be uh, could be completed. He had to offer up an incense of uh, smoke to go up to God, and then sprinkle blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. Um, a goat is sacrificed, and one is released outside of the camp. The goat that that's burnt on the altar represents the shedding of blood. The released goat symbolically carrying the sins of the people out of the camp. Notice in this passage what I talked about in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the Aaron, the, the sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Following the strange fire incident comes this instruction. Aaron had to purify the altar before he could offer a sacrifice for the people. The sanctity of the Holy of Holies was violated. So I think what Nadab and Abihu did is they didn't get their fire from the altar. They went, they, they lit their fire, and they went into the Holy of Holies, and God said, yep, dead, right there. Because he's establishing his position 
and the sanctity of that that place, his mercy seat, the the symbolic throne room of God on earth. Today, we have direct access to the throne room because Jesus did all of that. And as we see in the book of Hebrews, he's now sitting in at the right hand of the of the Father in the the throne of power and given has given us direct access to the throne room because the veil has been torn. So I think that I think the strange fire incident is bigger than just two knuckleheads lighting incense that they weren't supposed to. I think it's much bigger than that. Does that make sense as I tied them together? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, any questions on that? Okay, read Leviticus uh, 17, 10 through 16. Explain this passage. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood... I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his, among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth for the life of the of every creature is in its blood its blood is its life therefore i have said to the people of Israel you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of any creature is its blood whoever eats it shall be cut off for every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beast, whether it is native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. So explain why this is important. Well, it... It brings up the sanctity of, of life. Blood is life, right? Mm -hmm. And it also points to Jesus's blood as something, you know, and what he did was holy. Right. You know, taking our sins and sacrificing himself, shedding his blood. So it, it points <coughs> to that as well. Yeah, I kind of have it in my mind, but I can't express it. I'm well, sorry. No, you did good. Seven times in the book of in the five books of Moses, there's a prohibition stated about eating the blood. Seven times. Genesis uh, oh. nine four, Leviticus three seventeen seven twenty six through twenty seven, and seventeen ten through fourteen. Deuteronomy twelve fifteen sixteen. 12, 23, and 24, and 15, 23. Seven times Moses tells the people they can't eat the blood. Oh, and another thing that I should have said 
that um, if Jesus didn't shed his blood for us, we would not have life. Absolutely. The physical life of a being is in the blood. Whether that's completely symbolic or not, for the for the Hebrews wandering in the wilderness, they understood what that meant. You drain something somebody's blood out, they're dead. And for all practical purposes, that is still true today. To re refrain from eating blood is to show respect for life, says the Bible Knowledge Commentary. The author of the book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So there's, there, there's nothing special about the blood of bulls and goats. That's what we read in Hebrews, right? Um, it, it didn't save the people of Israel. It was symbolism. The only blood that had value was the blood of Jesus, which Ann just said, which was symbolized by that of the blood of the animals. Those, those animal sacrifices where they, where they poured out the blood and where the, the priest would go in and sprinkle it on the, on the altar and on the uh, mercy seat where they'd put it on their, their right earlobe and their, their thumb and their big toe, it symbolized what would come later, but they didn't know what would come later. For them, it symbolized the atonement cover, the, the covering that obedience to God in the sacrifices brought to them. That's different than the shedding of the blood of Jesus, which was not an atonement for us, but was a propitiation for us. It was a satisfaction of God's demands. That's what propitiation is. God's demand was that that sin be dealt with. And on our behalf, Jesus dealt with our with the demands of sin and paid the penalty for us. The Old Testament saints were saved just like we are through faith. Just like we they demonstrated that faith by the practice of of keeping the sacrifices, of slitting the throat, of pouring out the blood, of sprinkling the blood on the altar and on the mercy seat and so forth. I can't imagine what that looks like. I, I wonder what uh, um, what Aaron thought after the first time he went through the Day of Atonement sacrifices for 600,000 men and then untold number of strangers and two or three kids and wives each man, you know, we're several million. And so each clan uh, at, at the smallest family unit was offering a sacrifice. That's a lot of blood. That's more than what happens in a day. And so this was a long process. I can't imagine what that smelled like and looked like. It, you almost have to think that God had to do miracles to keep the bugs and stuff away. Any questions on that? Well, we're smoking through this tonight. Okay, read Leviticus 22, 17 through 33. Explain acceptable offerings. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or one of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering 
for any of the vows or free will offering that uh, they offer to the law, uh, to the Lord. It is to be accepted. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the or the sheep or the goats. You shall not have, offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, uh, to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord and give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it with your within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your, uh, your God any such animals gotten from a for foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they shall not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day it shall be accepted, acceptable as food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you may you shall sacrifice it so that uh, you shall you may be accepted. It shall be eaten in the same day, and you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. What else has those same restrictions? That was the restrictions on animals. Where else do you see those same kinds of restrictions? When you, when you have uh, people have discharges from their body of things, and they 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 have to be clean before they can right. worship. Or, right, priests and entrance to the temple. Go ahead, Ann. Right. That's what I was going to say. The priest couldn't be, if if a Levite was in line to be the high priest, if he had any of those defects, he couldn't be priest, a priest. Yeah, and, and even any of the, from the other tribes, just to enter the tabernacle or temple, if they had any defect, they couldn't enter the temple or the tabernacle. I had a question. Yes, I had sir. a question on what you just read there as you were reading it. There was two types of... Uh, and one was two types of whatever uh, one was acceptable and one was not acceptable for certain things yeah uh, free will offering uh, what what well, you, you what's could that? Uh, a free will offering is is just something you're you're giving out of the uh, be, the lord's blessed you and so you're giving him you know, it's it's not in response to a specific sacrifice that was required or a vow that you took it's just because you felt like praising God today. Okay. And in that case, God doesn't require only the best. Okay. 
So when, when we read this kind of, of instructions, God only accepts the animals that are the best, not the worst. Why do you suppose he would do that? Because his, his, uh, he was perfect, and only his perfect sacrifice would cover our sins. Yeah, he's the best, so he demands the best. But it's even bigger than that. What if if I were a if I were a rancher raising livestock for sale to the temple? I'd be tempted to want to sell the ones I can't make any money on. I'd be tempted to 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 discount those that I can't get rid of any other way that that aren't the the strongest that don't have the best offspring and so forth, right? Because you want to build your herd up so it's really good. So it has all right. the great things and you give God the run. But instead, you give God the best. What's that cause? That causes you to trust God. Yeah. Cause you to have further dependence on God that your herd will mm -hmm. still be strong. If you if if you go out to Texas today and you want to talk to to the the manager of the triple six ranch, the biggest ranch in the country, and say, I want you to give me your very best stud bull because I want hamburgers tonight. He's going to shoot you between the eyes. Because that, that's protected property. Because that's what makes him money. I was going to say that's a money maker. Yeah. And so God says to, to Israel, don't worry about those things. You give me the best and I'll take care of the rest. Yeah, that could be a song. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the best, and I'll take care of the rest. There you go. I'm a poet and didn't know it. Yep. God demanded that the priests and the uh, the others entering the tabernacle or temple didn't have these same defects. The same is true for 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 the people as it is for for the animals in sacrifice. God demands from us our best not what's left. And that's a tough message. Because predominantly, churches are full of people that are there with what's left. Which is why they go to church for all their felt needs. Which is exactly the opposite of what God said. Acceptable worship recognizes the greatness of God and his intrinsic value. He deserves only the best because he is the best. And we always need to worship God with the sense of awe that only the best can demonstrate. Could you say that again? Acceptable worship demands... Acceptable Sorry. worship recognizes the greatness of God and his intrinsic value. Okay, thanks. He deserves only the best because he is the best. We need to worship God with the sense of awe that only the best can demonstrate. And so this evening I want to close with uh, Psalm 35. And as I read it, I just want you to think about this is what I've been trying to do every morning when we have a psalm. 
worshiping God through the psalm. As you read the psalm, just worship God through it. Just praise him for, for what's there, what, what images are conjured in your mind. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Doesn't that give you a sense of, uh, of power because he's fighting your battles? Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Do you ever think about Jesus out there fighting on our, our behalf? That's the angel of the Lord that David's talking about. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. A picture in my mind is a bad guy running away in modern context with his pants around his ankles because he doesn't pull them up and he falls in slippery. And I mean, if you're going to be a criminal, pull up your pants, dummy. <laughs> for without cause they hid their net for, uh, for me without cause they dug a pit for my life let destruction come upon him when he does not know it and let the net he hid ensnare him let him fall into his destruction then my, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord exulting in his salvation all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But, when, but I, when they are sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me, wretches whom I do not know, tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lion's. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongly my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. Lord, be not far from me. Awaken, rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame 
and disappointed altogether, who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. I've been trying to worship in the morning through those uh, through those passages, and it's it's a new approach to uh, to Psalms, and uh, just encouraging you to do the same. Okay. Questions, comments, any any visions of uh, how God does that in your life? Vanquishes those that go after you. I'd just like to thank everybody for their encouragement and their cards and everything. Cool. Kayleen asked me the other day for the uh, video, and I sent her the link to download the video of the service. Oh. Yeah, I got it. Thank you. I appreciate your sermon. It was excellent. Thank you. Well, not sermon, but whatever you want to call it. <laughs> my, my bloviating? Yeah. <laughs> I like that word, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorites. That and poofology. Yeah. I like both of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Eric, uh, um, Eric, uh, whatever his name is. Huh? Brunk. Brunk, thank Trump. you. I thought you oh, said man. Trump, and I said, no, I don't talk to him. Um, <laughs> Eric Brooks, no, Brunk, up in Brooksville, mm-hmm. uh, has started using poofology with his congregation <laughs> as he has discussions. And he says, you really need to you need to f- define all the terms for me and, and, and get this so we can start publishing this. <laughs> yeah. I think he thinks right. <laughs> Well, I, I think there'd be a lot of people that would think we've kind of gone off the deep end if we talk about the doctrine of poofology. Well, somebody has to start. Mm-hmm. Had to start any of the ologies. Yeah. Well, maybe I've, you have to look up the Greek word that comes closest to poof and call it yeah, whatever that, that, that yeah, ology. That's, that's what I was thinking. I needed to uh, start by by getting a good Greek word so that just like soteriology, soteria, sotera um, is the is uh, salvation, um, the doctrine of salvation. So whatever poof would be. Okay. And then you could say blah, 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 ology, and that's poofology for those of you in the cheaper seats. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <clears throat> So, Chuck, I think it's up to you, sir. All righty. Thanks for our time here, Lord. May we live our lives understanding that you're serious with us. Um, You love us. You give us great mercy. um, But yet you expect us to um, live our lives to obey you. Um, Father, as we... Um, go through our lives. May we keep that in mind that we don't stray outside the line like um, 
can't remember their names now, Bayou and and whomever. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, you do bless us. Uh, pray for a great week um, as we finish it out before we gather together together on Sunday. In your name, I pray. Amen. <coughs> thank you all. Thank you. See y'all. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. See ya. All right. Night, everybody. Night. Night. Night, night. Good night. Good night. Yeah. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.